The Ziggler Show comes from the legacy of Zig Ziggler and brings together personal and professional growth, business success, and faith. Hello, this is Kevin Miller. In this episode, asking for the sale. You attempt to sell yourself every day, so do I, to your spouse, your kids, your coworkers or employees, boss, investors, or for some of you to an actual customer. And what is your process? When do you actually ask for the sale? How do you build up to it? Or do you? Well, I play a four minute clip in this show from Zig Ziglar, that's pure sales training. And of course, I asked the Ziglar audience a question. How or when do you ask people to buy your product or service? And got a lot of responses. Tom Ziglar and I definitely talk business and professional selling here, but we also make it personal. I mean, selling is caring, selling is influencing, selling is sometimes convincing somebody of something maybe that they really need. And selling is a skill just as much as making somebody feel truly loved is a skill. So next, I'm going to share what we have for you in our other podcasts, some products and services we think are really relevant for you. Then I'm going to queue up a four-minute message from Zig Ziglar before Tom Ziglar and I talk about your comments to, again, the question, how or when do you ask people to buy your product or service? And hey, real quick, let me just thank you. Thanks for making The Ziggler Show the number two ranked all-time career podcast in iTunes. We've been at number three for many months and now for the past few weeks at number two because you help make this a great show with your comments to these weekly Q&As and you share the episodes you find value in with those you care about. So I'm just honored to be on this journey with you. The ABCs of closing sales, A-A-F-T-O, always ask for the order. Many years ago, the Detroit newspapers carried a feature story about a monstrous insurance policy purchased by Henry Ford. A close friend of Mr. Ford's who was in the insurance business was considerably upset and asked him why he had not bought the policy from him. Mr. Ford's answer is a lesson to everybody who sells anything to anybody at any time under any circumstances, and that's all of us. He said, you didn't ask me. When I think of closing the sale, I can think of no more effective closer than my brother, Judge Ziegler. He had the strongest closing attitude of anyone I have ever known in the great profession of selling. Judge's basic philosophy was, you had his money in your pocket. Now that was okay since he had your product on his shelf. Now, before you rush to judgment, let me quickly add that my brother was one salesman who always had his prospects' best interest in mind. He always believed in the product he sold, and he always knew that people were better off after he made the trade. His money for your product. Judge wrote a book called Timid Salesmen Have Skinny Kids, and he was exactly right. The year he set the world's record for cookware sales, he overcame more adversity than most salesmen faced in a career, including a child with an extended hospital stay, Judge sold to the nurses, an automobile accident that totaled his car, he sold to the insurance adjuster, the death of two close relatives, and losing his voice. The doctor told him he couldn't speak for six weeks, so he did the only thing he could do. He got another doctor. 
Now, your closing style or attitude may be entirely different than my brother's. I know mine is. The point here is not so much how you go about asking for the order. The point is that you do ask for the order. Go for it. Everything we have done to this point in Ziegler on Selling was designed to bring us to this point in the sales process. The fourth step in our successful sales formula is need satisfaction. When we do the proper need analysis, we understand the prospect's needs and desires. We follow this with need awareness, where we make sure we understand the needs and desires and that the prospect understands the needs and desires. After the sales professional and the prospect are both aware, we offer the need solution in the form of our product or service. And now, at long last, we've reached the moment of truth, need satisfaction. When you reach this point in the sales process and the prospect says, say, you're not trying to sell me something, are you? And you reply, no, no, of course not. Then I got to ask, well, what are you then, a professional visitor? Closing sales doesn't have to be painful for you or the prospect. On the contrary, if you are the right kind of person selling the right kind of product at a fair price with the right intentions, you are in a win-win situation. And a win-win situation means that closing the sale is a positive and pleasant experience for both of you. Sales technician Chris Haggerty reports that 63% of all sales interviews end with the salesperson not specifically asking for the order. Even more surprisingly, research from Dr. Herb True of Notre Dame reveals that 46% of the salespeople he interviewed ask for the order once and then quit. 24% ask for the order twice before giving up. 14% ask the third time, and 12% hang in there for four attempts before throwing in the proverbial towel. That's a total of 96% who quit after four closing attempts, and yet the same research shows that a full 60% of all sales are made after the fifth closing attempt. Since the percentage of salespeople not asking for the sale, the necessary five times equals 96%, it's obvious that 4% of the sales population is making 60% of the sales and 60% of the commissions. Well, Tom, we got a bunch of comments on this topic, but I really want to start off just talking about the state of sales today. I mean, sales is influence. And of course, I want to make this personal as far as the sales that we make to our, you know, our spouse, our kids, our friends, you know, we want to have influence. But speaking to those who do have a product or service, I'm just aware that you know, when I was young, cut my teeth in this, in, in business and marketing and sales like you, there was the aspect of there's a sales process and ultimately you ask for the order, just like we heard the message from your dad uh, a moment ago. These days, though, I'm aware that the perspective that most people have in business, especially with the Internet, is you create a website, you put out there what you're going to have, uh, what you're going to offer you turn it on, you start promoting, you do some marketing, you go on social media, you do whatever you do, you know, to get people to you, but then you wait for that order to show up. So you're basically an order taker and you go, Hey, I'm, you know, Ching, I made some money while I slept. I woke up in the morning and there's three orders and we don't really expect to 
ask for the order. I think there's a lot of people out there that don't, even those who are, you know, selling their marketing to a database over and over. And then ultimately people get comfortable enough with them and they do make an order. So to some degrees, I think it seems like there's less of that feeling of a need to ask for the order, uh, in the way that we're used to, if you're selling, you know, face to face, selling a car, selling pots and pans, whatever. And I think it's hard for people to grasp. And so you really just wanted to put that to you to begin with of where do you see the sales process today in this world that we're in? I, I kind of go back to the, you know, the statement that dad used to say, people don't like to be sold, but they love help buying. Okay. And so the mindset of so many people is, is, well, I don't like being sold, so I'm not going to sell anybody. Mm -hmm. And so either by design or usually just by avoiding that question, it ends up being a place where people have a conversation. You almost have to look you know, what do I do next? How do I, how do I get this? How do I go to that next level? Uh, and I, and I think that's a big piece of it, of course, with social media and TV and movies, there really haven't been positive representations of sales professionals. You know, there's not, you know, the gold standard in sales. Um, I love the, uh, Hebrew in Hebrew, I believe, there are two words that, that describe sale. Uh, one of them is a, a word that has low kind of moral value. It's just a normal word. It means transaction. And the high moral value word for in Hebrew for sale means to actually look into the future of the prospect, anticipate the pain they're going to have, and then help them avoid having that pain. I know in our, with our coaches, uh, you know, we have, we're soon to have 140 choose to win coaches and we remind them all the time. Your value is not the price you charge. Your value is the change in that person's life. Yeah. And so whoever's listening to this, whatever you're selling, you know, whether it's uh, a home interior or, a service or, you know, a professional consulting or, or whatever it is, you have to look at the value of how it changes that person's life. And I would hate to have someone miss that value because you weren't up front saying, Hey, you know, can we go ahead and get started on this project for you? It's, it's a, it's a simple question. Well, and we got some responses from people who get that, Tom. Uh, I'll, I'll go over a couple real quick here. Brian here, he says, if you've done a well enough job listening to the prospect and in a conversational way of asked the right questions, you can have the prospect asking you if they can get your product or service. At the very least, you have helped them to connect the dots and you are in a position to ask for the business, kind of what you started off with, that we're you know helping them make that decision. Uh, Jeff Jones also, this is interesting because Jeff Jones, he was the drummer for Big Daddy Weave, which a lot of people will know, professional drummer, and did a career change. He started a business selling custom drumsticks and bats uh, that I've actually got some sitting back here on my, on my shelf. He just sold that business and now he's doing really great in real estate. Uh, so it's been neat to see his progression. And he says, I don't ask for the sale. 
uh, or, you know, I don't close. My entire philosophy is to create an environment where I'm the obvious choice when they are ready to make a decision. Buying or selling a home is not something someone convinces another person to do. So it's not about me asking, but it's about me being top of mind when they are ready. My entire marketing approach is about selling without selling. I, th I like that where he says, you know, I'm there to be top of mind when they are ready to buy. I mean, here in podcasting, it's a business of trust. People listen to podcasters that they connect with, they resonate with, and to some degree they trust. And that's why so much advertising is filling this space now. It's kind of the old Paul Harvey thing. You listen to Paul Harvey, you trust him. When you're ready to buy some hardware, you go to True Value Hardware because that's where he advocated, you know, and Dave Ramsey today, I mean, of course, has done a great job. People trust them. And of course, we see that here. People trust us and they uh, often will will purchase from the people that we advertise. So we've made, I guess we've sold that trust early on. Uh, but then, you know, to helping them make that decision, we do know that there's still repetition and people don't make a, a purchase right away, generally, at least on the premium items. And that's probably worth pointing out too. I mean, we are talking generally in this process about a, is it fair to say a premium offering, not a commodity? When I want something, I went today and needed a couple of things. I'm going to upgrade my, um, my camera here that I'm using. Uh, I, we found a couple cords that are old and I just went on Amazon, looked for what I needed, what had the best ratings and reviews, and I just bought it. I guess, you know, there, we are in a different process to some degree, but we all have those same, maybe, you know, especially the big tick, ticket items, there is that decision-making point. And it seems like we do more of that, making ourselves top of mind, building trust, than having that face-to-face, -face, okay, are you ready to buy? It actually is probably as prominent or, or more than anywhere in coaching and consulting today, Tom, which you're so heavily involved in. Yeah, you know, I read a stat, this is a few years old, uh, but it was something like between 97 and 99% of people do not trust marketing and advertising uh, from big from big companies. And then 93% of people admitted that if they were going to make a, a, a significant purchase, so not a computer cable like you're talking about, yeah. but a but a that they would seek out their circle of influence yep. to see if they've had an experience with them. And so what Jeff talks about, about creating the environment, uh, to, to me, the, the environment in a, in a significant purpose is understanding, okay, what is it you're looking for? What would your, how would your life change if you got that? What is it that, that is causing you concern now what are you unhappy with now with what you have and then comes in the the testimonial or the third party endorsement well hey you were you know you were referred by so and so what did they say about it oh well they really enjoyed the experience mm -hmm. and then it becomes very natural to say well it sounds like you really want this would you like some help in finding the right fit for you and so that is such a that is such a soft and direct approach still, right? Because it's still, you're still saying, would you like some help? And if, and then, and it's cause I go into uh, all of my background and sales training and being raised by dad. And 
you can look at that as a close or a trial close, or, or we're just drawing out more information, but we're really relying all of it. But to me, it's all uh, trust and relationship. Mm -hmm. And that is where, where we can stand apart. So in our coaching enrollment process, uh, we literally get the person to raise their hand by the end of the conversation, just like Jeff is saying, yeah, I want that. Can I get some help? <laughs> yeah. That's the, that's our goal. Yeah. Well, you know, this, you, you talked about the social that we turn to our groups of friends and we are, had the ability to do that in some way today by looking at the reviews, the reviews online, reviews on Google, reviews on Yelp. We can look at some of the, some of the businesses and services like that and get that social proof. It's kind of like the old consumer reports, you know, is, is everywhere these days. And that does a lot of it. And as I think back over the past even decade there, I don't know the stats, but there's so many, a certain amount of my businesses where the sales happen through that, you know, you had a database, you're marketing to them, or, you know, you're talking to them, you're building a relationship with them through a podcast, through a blog, through a membership, which is what I've had to. And then you put those things out. When I did events, those generally, I would promote those and ultimately say, hey, and this is the cutoff and people sign up or they don't based on the relationship we've built, the trust. And of course me, you know, uh, lifting up, shining a light on their need. Now, coaching and consulting packages, those were ones where you end up one-on-one -on -one with somebody and then saying, okay, are you, you know, ready to, you're ready to buy. Wendy Melrose here, she says, I close my deals over email and phone, 99% or over the phone, rarely ever in person. However, asking for the sales, me saying, if you're good with this price, we can get started today. And there you do get into literal closes. And this is secrets of closing the sale and the different types there. Mine were always the assumptive close. When I had that person on the line or even in an email over that for a you know multi-thousand dollar coaching consulting package, it was a lot. Say, so, hey, look, this looks like it's a good fit. Uh, I can get started as soon as next week. When is good for you? And it's just kind of that assumptive close. And they would generally come back and go, well, yeah, I can get started here. And I say, okay, as soon as your payment comes through, we'll schedule it. And that was, I mean, that was a process of getting them to actually do that or to actually say, gosh, you know, I'm not ready to do it. But yeah, I still wonder as we're talking here out of the tens of thousands of people listening, how many of them have sales, a product or service, have a sale that's happening through an actual ask or does it just happen through the marketing and ultimately somebody buys or not i don't have a stat that would be an actually an interesting survey to do tom that i don't know i could have put i could put that out to the audience to ask that question because i'm not sure how many people in this day and age it'd be interesting to know what products and services do people feel like they actually have to ask for that close though again coaching and consulting like in your choose to win i would imagine the vast majority of them do at some point say, okay, are you ready to start Tuesday? Yeah, you know, and, and that just makes me reflect because we had a webinar today uh, regarding our Ziegler Legacy certification. And what we do is we give people the idea, the value, and then we, our close on the webinar is a complimentary strategy session. Yeah. And we have made a conscious philosophical decision to go this route and to serve each person before we've qualified them with this strategy session. And it is a 
45 minutes to an hour deep dive questions into what is it they want to accomplish? Who do they want to become? Why do they feel like this is something they want to do? How long have they felt this way? How is their life going to change? All those type of questions. And so today, again, it comes up. And so somebody will say on the webinar, well, what's the investment? Mm -hmm. Well, the reality is because we're very consultative based on your needs, we don't know what the investment is because we don't recommend everybody go for, go for the coaching. They're not ready or it's not a fit for what they want to do. And so literally the investment could be from, you know, less than a hundred dollars to more than $10,000 if they wanted everything. Yeah. So how can we give an investment on the phone and we let them know what it is. And, and then if they're and, and I say pre-qualification because we talk to people all over the world. And so in their mind, they thought it was X. Oh, this is only going to be this, but it turns out to be Y. We still have solutions for them. We still have a, a, a plan for them. Um, it's, you know, there's like, there's transactional things where if, you know, in a retail environment, if, if they leave, especially we'll just paint the picture. You're, you're in a tourist town. They come in, they're looking at t-shirts. Hey, if they don't buy the t-shirt from you, they're not buying it from you. Right. Yeah. If they, they don't get it. And that's a different scenario than the type of relationship we're in. We want to do business with you uh, for the next 30 years. Right. We don't, you know, we're not hoping that you're a drive by. And then there's the kind of the in-between somebody was talking about, uh, selling cars and boy, is that a, you know, that's a reputation. That's a three-way reputation sale. In my opinion, it's the reputation of the brand that you're selling. It's the reputation of the dealer and it's the reputation of the salesperson. And that's a different, and, and you've got that pressure because it's the same thing. If they're, if they're there interested and need a car, then you really have that opportunity when they when they leave the chances of that following through go way down you are listening to the ziggler show in this episode asking for the sale next we hear from a listener who sells cars and from that we get into discussing a reality that in today's marketplace as we in the marketplace are trying to prompt people to make a buying decision for our product and service many people are just trying to avoid making decisions as much as they can what do we do with that I have some relevant resources to share with you right now, and then we'll get right back into it. Yeah, so you mentioned the, uh, the car, Sarah Brown, she put that in there. She said, little difference in car sales or business, it's all in person. But after rapport has been built and problems have been solved and value has been built in the vehicle, value build being very important. But that is one today where you go on a car lot, that's probably, you know, again, we could make a category of how many products and services are actually come down to a closing need. To, to ask for the sale. And that is one to make that big decision. I, you know, I'm, I'm really enamored with that, with you talking about the decision, you know, what sales is, because today it feels like as we are so inundated with promotions and with offers, and I'm going to say that the vast majority, now we have plenty of people in the service industries, you know, with, with carpet cleaners and, uh, you know, plumbing businesses and things like that where you know that happens when, when you have a need you're going to go find that person and make a decision on somebody that you think you trust but we have so many people that do have 
coaching, consulting, information businesses, none of which are ever very urgent. And so it feels like we're in the business of helping incite a decision. So we put our promotion out there and say, hey, if you're interested, like for you with Choose to Win, uh, for those of you who are interested in coaching you know, and consulting, well, there's a lot of people who are not. So they're, they're, out, they're, out of the, they're out of the picture. The ones that are, they may sign up. They're gonna read, they're gonna sign up for a webinar, for some information, whatnot. That is never gonna be very super urgent. There's a lot of things that are urgent. Yeah, when your dry cleaner or your, your dryer uh, dies, like I just had a couple die, actually, that's something urgent and you're gonna go take care of that pretty quick. But these bigger issues, again, services, information, are not so it feels like we're off to, and, and and because we're so inundated i think that we're more prone as a culture so i want everybody to hear this i think the marketplace is more prone to make efforts to not make decisions we have decision fatigue and so a lot of times when i see offers i think oh my gosh man i know i'm interested in that i just don't want to and I'll delete something that's probably, a, it could be a good offer. It is something I need. It would benefit my life. I just don't want to make a decision. So to that, I need people to be persistent, to be honoring and respecting, but to be persistent and to give me a reason to act, which we get into. And I want to hit that, Tom, because we have so many, I get worn out by the, you know, it's an exclusive offer. It's an electronic product. You could sell a million of them. I mean, how can there be limited seats for the most part? Okay, so there's a few things, but generally, you know, we kind of get to know that or hey, the offer ends on this date. And I think we know that there's no reason it would have to end on that date, but there is a need to create urgency so people will respond because otherwise they will just not and they'll put off something that could help them. And I feel like there's a balance there that we get on one hand, we get burnt out with those offers, but on the other hand, then we have people who just will never act that need to for their own benefit. And there's, that's a hard place to be. And there's a lot of people here in this, including you and me, where we're in that space. And we have to look at how do we help advocate for these people who want to pursue, let's say coaching in this instance, they want to pursue it. And I don't mean just to be promoting you know, coaching, but it's just so applicable here. And we need to help them have a reason to make a decision or not to say yes or no, which that's, that is the heart of sales is yes or no. P drive somebody to that point. Maybe what, what's the, the statement, you know, maybe is death. Maybe there's a statement for that. Maybe yeah. is, uh, I can't remember what it is, but may, maybe it's no good. We can die on maybe we want to get right. to yes or no. There's two, when, when I'm in a sales situation around what we do, uh, a yes is a win and a no is a win. Yeah. But a maybe, a maybe is a killer. And the reason is, is our, is the, our number one cost is the amount of time and follow-up. So mm -hmm. if somebody has all the information, it's a great fit and they really want it and you have a sense of urgency and there's a reason for them to go ahead and say, yes, then you've set it up correctly. The, the salespeople will die. And like my, uh, uncle judge Ziegler. Yep. He wrote the book, Timid Salesmen Have Skinny Kids. Mm -hmm. What a great thing. You know, we, we die on the maybe. So let me, let me paint a picture. Yep. Uh, I had this conversation uh, within the last week. I do some coaching in the HVAC industry, residential primarily. And I want you to hear all the things that are going on. Uh, during 110 degree summer days, 
when your air conditioner goes out, that's an emergency. Mm -hmm. Okay. So now you've got a business owner who's running an HVAC and he's got all that overhead and he's got a crew of technicians and people who might work late into the night, all kinds of hours to go in and solve a problem for a customer. But the technicians, so in that industry, there, there is a group that, you know, they get a reputation of where they're always upselling and selling things you do or don't, you don't need, right? <laughs> and then, uh, then there's another group who's like, you know what, we're professional, we only sell you what you do need. And, and so the technicians who are generally not sales-minded to begin with are kind of stuck in the middle. And so a technician goes in, and how does that technician diagnose the problem, tell the customer what's going on? And the reality is, is there's usually three or four options. Mm -hmm. The Band-Aid, the Band-Aid plus the minimal maintenance, a replacement of this, or a whole new solution. And it, it's all variable. If they're fixing a piece of equipment that's 15 years old and it's the middle of the summer, you know, the more repair work you do on it, the, 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 the less value you're going to get out of it, right? Because mm -hmm. it's not going to last. So now the technician is put into a difficult position because they want to come across as professional, not taking advantage of. And so here are the three questions. So anybody who's listening to this, write these three questions down. The first question is, what is the customer feeling? What are their feelings when they show up? When you show up on site, what are their feelings? Their house is 110 degrees. They know they're not going to sleep that night. Mm -hmm. And they've called in the after hours emergency team to fix this. What are they feeling? Well, they're afraid of how much it's going to cost. They're wondering if they're going to be taken advantage of. They're hoping that it's an easy fix that could be done right away. Okay. So now ask the second question. When you leave the job, what do you want the customer to be feeling? So after a successful experience solving the problem, what do you want the customer to feel? Well, you want the customer to confidently give you as a referral to someone else. Right? Absolutely. And so what does that mean? So the third question is, what do I need to do on in the sales call, <clears throat> excuse me, while I'm there diagnosing the problem, talking to the customer, walking through it, what do I need to do in that process to turn that fearful prospect into a confident referring customer? Yeah. And if you spend your energy on that, wow, then you've got a powerful solution. You've got a powerful sales process. And so to give them confidence to refer you, number one, you've got to be professional. You've got to check it all out. Number two is you've got to let them know they got options, right, from, from here to here. Number three is you've got to give them reasons to pick one of the options 
And then you've got to leave that decision up to them. Yeah. And that is the way you build trust and integrity and you, you lean on the decision you want. <clears throat> Making the decision in advance for them based on a preconceived uh, concept of what they can, um, that's just as wrong as only recommending the Band-Aid, which they're going to call you back in three weeks hot at midnight again. <laughs> right? And so I think that a guide to this, and this is a great moral test question. If you were that customer, what would you want the sales professional to do for mm -hmm. you? Yeah. And I tell you what, I bought a couple of things that I wanted that I didn't need simply because I enjoyed the sales process so much. And it was, you know, and I really enjoyed the, the, the product. Would I, have, would I have gone out of my way going through the mall to go pick it up? No. But when they, when they got my attention and explained all the things that it could do and they did it in such a way that made me go, wow, I didn't know it could do that. I mean, this is fantastic. And then they presented it in such a way as I'd love to get you, I'd love to get you set up with this. Can, you know, does that sound good? And I, I just sometimes I just say yes to that because <laughs> it's just it's just been and you know what those are the uh, investments that and I'll call it an investment those are the investments that I've enjoyed the most in life yeah usually the the salesperson who's the professional that talks that that shares with me the benefits of going a little bit more than I wanted those are the things that I get the most enjoyment and use of out of my life because they can speak with confidence knowing what it is to have something that doesn't quite solve the problem. Yeah. Yeah. And we, you know, we had some great responses here, Tom, just to what you said. I mean, Michael O'Brien just said, you know, he sells in person and he asks for the close when the value based off their, the the prospects wants and needs, uh, 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 the value of his service, of his product, based off the customer's want and, wants and needs, has exceeded the value of their expectation. I thought that was a great way of putting it. And, you know, Richard Powell says, I, it's after I get to know them and their needs. Jeff Bayless says, I ask questions. I don't apply pressure. If it's a good fit, it will be mutually uh, beneficial. And then Amy Van Slambrook, who responds a lot, and she is a, uh, she's a coach, uh, if not a counselor, she says, when I know it in my heart that it's meeting what they need and sounds like what they want based on listening to them, sales is an act of generosity when done in the right spirit. Uh, you know, the person, let's Tom, I want to speak to the people. There are folks out there who know they have a good product. They know they have a good service and yet they are uncomfortable with asking for the sale and they are often not making the sale. And you've talked to, who knows, hundreds if not thousands of people in this position. They know they can do well, but they're not making the sale. And they're wondering why later, why, why didn't they buy? I know the person could use it. And now the person's probably going to go off and either choose a competitor for some reason or just not make the decision. Again, especially if it's not something that's urgent, which goes back to the clip that we started from with your dad saying, uh, you know, talking about the person who, who bought something 
And his friend said, well, gosh, why didn't you buy from me? And he says, well, you never asked. And, you know, do we, you know, where, where we need to, where these people who are listening right now, who are often found in that spot, there is the need to ask and to ask in the right way Though we can also, based on what you just said, say, are they getting to that spot? Because they have just not done the job up front of creating the trust, creating the rapport, making the person feeling feel understood because I think when it comes down to it, Tom, yeah, I feel like I have done the best job when I don't have to ask. That is when I do feel, I mean, when was the last time are you used to even having to ask these days? I am. Are you um, still? Yeah. I, and I expect to have, I'm, pre I'm prepared for the ask. So I want to go back, uh, you know, to Michael, if Michael, if you hear this, you might, yeah. Come back in and, and leave a comment on this thread under Kevin and just tag my name on it. So here's a, here's a, here's a great question to ask that'll help reveal uh, when, the, when the value has exceeded their expectation. Okay. Okay. Uh, and most people have heard this quite, I can't, I wish I could remember where I heard this question, the way it's phrased, but it's just a fan. It's, it wasn't dad. It was somebody else. Uh, and we all know the question on a scale of one to 10 with 10 being, you're going to say yes, right now, how close are you to making a decision? And that's the question. That's not the question I'm talking about. Uh, the way I would say that question is, Hey, on a scale of one to 10, after everything you've heard, your expectations and the value that we bring, um, how close are you to making a decision? So they say something like a seven. Now, the typical follow-up question is, well, how do I move you from a seven to a 10, right. right? So Michael, don't do that, do this. Just say, wow, a seven, that's pretty good. Tell me why it's a seven mm. and not a five. That's good. <laughs> okay, so what, what then happens is instead of telling you what's wrong with the opportunity, they start telling you, all the things they like about it. And that's a powerful thing because now in their own words, they've told you why it's a fit. Yeah. And so they will usually say, well, you know, I like this. I like the relationship. I think we can trust you and blah, 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 blah. And then they might say, I was just hoping for this. Right. And if I had this, they're going to volunteer and then you get to repeat back what the, what they've said that they already like. And then it's, then it's real simple. If we could, if we could get you that extra thing there, would that make it a no brainer? Mm -hmm. But what they're, what you're doing then is you're getting them to express what their needs and expectations are together and then find out where the gap is. But I love that question of, wow, you said an eight. That's well, I'm going to take that as a compliment because, you know, that that says we're doing pretty good. We're not there yet. But why an eight instead of a six yeah. or a five? I love that approach. I do, too. I do, too. And this is something I mean, obviously, you know, Ziegler is the home of sales. I mean, sales training, that's where Zig Ziglar started. That is such a foundational backbone of Ziglar today. I think if anybody is hearing this and you are still questioning what's going wrong in your sales process, you're still uncomfortable, 
I would go to Ziggler.com and just contact them. And if they can help you in a specific area, they'll tell you. If they uh, can't, they'll give you a referral or a resource somewhere else. I don't think there's anyone listening who would not benefit from reading Secrets of Closing the Sale. Because, and I said I would talk about this, Tom, and I want us to end on the note of let's go to the personal side. Outside of a product or service, just us and our everyday lives. We are always selling every single day. I know that I am often selling something to my wife. I am selling something to my kids, especially my teen uh, kids. I am selling something to my older kids who I want to have the influence to help them and impart something to them. I am selling to my business partners, to investors. Uh, I am selling to this audience here. I'm selling to a publisher. I mean, I, I, I am and everybody is to some degree. They want to help persuade somebody in a direction. They want to help convince somebody to a direction. They want to have influence just so that they can help them. How many people out there would love to help somebody in their life who is suffering in some way or they see is just uh, having pain in some way and they go, oh, I wish I could just tell them this. I mean, that's a, that's a common thing that I hear people talk about. Oh, I wish so-and-so would listen to me. I wish I could say this to them. Well, why can't you? That's a sales question right there. I don't know anywhere else to go. This is, this is Secrets to Closing the Sale. This is How to Win Friends and Influence People by Dale Carnegie. And we have a culture who is not taught this. It's not taught in schools. It's not taught in the home for the most part. It's not taught in universities. And it's often not even taught in the corporate arena where you may be hired to do that professionally. And we have to go outside of that. But how do we do that? And Tom, I have learned, I'm grateful that I learned early on about sales. And I see it today as a, gosh, going back to what uh, Amy said, it's an act of generosity when done in the right spirit. When I have a kid, a friend, anyone who I see suffering from something, if I don't have the influence uh, so that they will listen to me, I can't help them. And I may have something that can really help them. I need to know the sales process. My love and care for them is often not enough because if I say it wrong, if I say it in a way that's offensive, if I have not built trust with them, I can't help them. And it's still a sales process. And I know people are going to hear that and it just doesn't connect well. It's a, we should come up with another term. Maybe you have one, Tom. It's an influence process. That would be great. Let's take it out of sales and say, if you want to influence people, there is a process. But we just don't think that way. It's not it's not a common perception. Absolutely. Uh, I'm going to give a little sneak peek into the book that I'm working on. Please. It's a little bit on leader. It's a lot on leadership. I'll just be up front. And I'm trying to, uh, in, in a time of change, what's the right kind of leadership? And I have this statement, and it's a perfect sales statement. It's a perfect family statement. But here it is. We create the future we see. Mm -hmm. Let me say that again. We create the future we see. Hmm. So remember what we said earlier, the three questions. How is the customer feeling? How do you want them to feel? And what do you need to do in the sales process to get them to feel that way? Mm -hmm. Well, the future we see is we want them to confidently refer us to their family and friends, the people they tr trust and love the most, okay? So the future I see with my home and my family and my kids is that they're stepping confidently into life, uh, taking responsibility, creating their own path. 
Now, this is, this is interesting because we know how the brain works. If I tell you constantly, hey, you know, you never turn off the lights, you never pick up your, your clothes, you leave the dishes on the table, what that does is reinforces the negative thing. So they feel bad and then they continue to leave the lights on and leave the clothes on the floor. So if we want to create the future we see, what we see is, is, a, is a neat, respectful house, you know, energy efficient, the lights are off. Not only is the table cleaned off, but all the kids are helping each other clean the table. Yeah. And so what is the behavior and the words that you've got to express to create that? Oh, Kevin, and I, I love it when you do that. That just, that just helps me out so much. I've got so much and what you just did uh, really made a difference. Who, who doesn't want to hear that? Yeah. Right. And so pretty soon with this positive affirmation type of, of direction. And so how do we use that in the sales process? So let's just say you got referred to somebody. So Kevin, somebody referred me to you. You're interested. I might start off the conversation like this. Kevin, uh, thank you for taking the time today. Uh, John referred us and I'm so grateful that he did, you know, uh, just like I told John, I said, my goal is for you to be confidently referring me to your friends. And that's really my reason for being here. If we're fit, Kevin, I hope to earn that from you. Does that sound okay? That you would refer me? Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Well, okay. So, so Kevin, you got to know right out of the gate, you got to hold me to the highest standard. And, you know, if I leave something out, you let me know. Okay, so let's, what is it that you're interested in? You know, what is it that we can, and so what I've done is I've, I have a vision. I've, I want to create the future that I see. We create the future that I see. And so what I see is Kevin referring me to his friends. So what's my behavior? I'm going to have to set a standard so high that I have to live up to that when I do, after, you know, whatever the relationship period is, you know, maybe it's a week, maybe it's a month, maybe it's six months. I can go back to Kevin and say, how are you liking that? You're like, oh, man, this is the best thing ever. Great. Remember our first conversation? Yeah, I do. Who do you think would enjoy the same kind of service that you've had that, you know? Yeah. Right. And so it gets back to that front end. But the thing is, is we create the future we see that works in all relationships. But here's what's interesting about it. It's focused on two things, problem solving for what that other person needs and setting a high standard of behavior on my side that is not manipulative. It's serving, right? It's respectful. It's, it's saying I have an obligation to exceed your expectation. That is a tactic that I, a tactic, that sounds, it's going to sound rough to some people, but a, a, a strategy that I have used in a business in the past where we, that was literally part of the vernacular is we are here, you're going to get better service from us than you've ever experienced because all of our attention is focused on you. We're not out there trying to sell to people who don't know us, but to, but to, to be able to do that, we are totally reliant on your repeat and referral clients. So uh, you're, you're, you're on repeat and referral clients and your referrals and recommendations. 
And man, yeah, the perspective that put when we said that and put that out front there, the propensity for them to give that was so much higher. They knew that that was the point and then knew that we were sitting here on the seat, hot seat to give service in that way. But it also, as much as programming the person, it programmed our business. It programmed our employees uh, in such a dramatic way. And you know, I'm saying that, and that's a story that I can make anonymous, but it was actually at Churchill Mortgage. Uh, it was the one actual W-2 employee scenario I actually had, at least in my you know adult life. I did some things as a kid. But that was it, 1996 to 1998 with Mike Hardwick. That's who Dave Ramsey still sends everybody to. He did back then and he does today. It's Churchill Mortgage, which is now in, it's like 30 some states. Uh, But during that two year time period where I was there, not that it was all about me, it was about something that Mike was doing that I got to spearhead. We quadrupled the repeat and referral business in Churchill Mortgage and he franchised it, started franchising it afterwards and asked me, but I had other, I had other pastures I wanted to go check out at that point, but it was incredible. And I'm, I'm astounded today to see how few people, I shouldn't even say that, Tom, I, I really can't tell you outside of Ziegler Corporation, you and what you guys do there. I don't really know a business that I could say that I feel like does that with me, that I've chosen to give my money and that they court me at all for repeat business, for my repeat business, for my referrals. Nobody asks. It's, it's unprecedented. And yet we've got incredible books. I think you and I talked about it not long ago. Uh, isn't it Sewell Cadillac? And they had the book. Is it Crown, Crowning the Customer? I may be getting my books uh, confused. Yeah, I'm not sure if that's the name of the book, but it's but their customer service is unbelievable. If you type in Sewell, Cat, Sewell Cadillac or Automotive in, in Dallas, and you'll see that's their perspective. And they've knocked out of the park. Why has every automotive dealership in America not exemplified them? I no idea. No idea. Yeah, because uh, doing it right uh, takes a little bit more energy. Mm. But it also the rewards long term. I will, yeah. you know, the, the, the example I gave uh, just a second ago, I'm going to boil it down. Seth Godin boiled it down into uh, four words. And this is like a, a mic drop moment. Um, so Seth is a legend, marketing uh, futurist, uh, you know, CEOs of the Fortune 500. They call on him to, to help understand where we're going and what's effective. And just an amazing individual. Well, early in his career, uh, he, he will tell you that he listened to Secrets of Closing the Sale. The version he had, I think, was ten at least 10 hours. Uh, and he would probably tell you that he listened to it uh, over 500 hours total, probably over 1,000 hours total, because he was doing two to three hours a day. So when he came to our office, I said, Seth, I saw something online and you were talking about trust. What were you talking about? And this is what he said. He said, in every interaction that I have, I have one goal. The scalability of trust. That's good. Four words. If you want to take to the bank a way to live your life, ask yourself this in every interaction, every phone call, every email, every face to face, every shipment and fulfillment, everything that 
comes in a customer client relationship. Did you scale trust? Mm -hmm. Here's what you've got to know. Trust is never static. It's either growing or diminishing. So Kevin, we have a lot of trust, a ton of trust. Mm -hmm. You run the, the Ziegler show podcast magnificently. I never stay up at night wondering what Kevin's going to do next. If you don't call me for a couple of weeks, I don't wonder what's going on with Kevin. You've got that. But I will tell you that if we didn't talk for three, four, five, six, seven, eight months, when we reconnected, the trust level isn't going to be as high as it is now when we're doing one of these shows pretty much every week. Yep. Right. Yep. And why is that? Trust is not static. It's either increasing or it's decreasing. And so if your mission in the growing of your business is to scale trust, you're going to be in a good position. Now, how did Seth come up with that? Well, he didn't tell me exactly how he came up with it. So this is how I figured he came up with it. In the Secrets of Closing the Sale program, Dad says there's five reasons that people don't buy. No need, no want, no hurry, no money, and no trust. The biggest of these is trust. Mm -hmm. So that became such a great part of Seth's DNA that he internalized the concept, well, hey, if I get trust and earn trust, well, then when I bring a solution that fits their, their problem, they're just going to say yes. Yeah. Now, how cool is that? Isn't that true? So as a business owner, whatever you do, in your primary market, the ones that you're building relationships with, if you have their trust and you're visible, when their problem meets your solution, they're going to say yes. Yeah. And you just, I'm going to go back down to Jeff Jones. He talked about that. He said, buying or selling a home is not something someone convinces another person to do. It's not about me asking. It's about me being top of mind when they are ready. And yeah, when you talk about trust not being static, I think we miss that. We think once I have done a good job for somebody, I've got their trust and a story. And of course they would tell other people about me. Of course they would use me again. And yet that is what we saw back there with the, when I'm talking about the mortgage industry and mortgage and, and realtor business, that the average person does not remember who their mortgage company is three months after the deal. And it was not long after that, that they forget about who the realtor is as well. Uh, it's usually not a super fun process for people when they go through the minutia of that. And we need to stay top of mind. That was the realtor and mortgage lender uh, lingo was staying top of mind. But yeah, just that reality that trust, once we gain it, it just, you're right, time. Time goes by and it's a little drop off of trust. We could do a whole show just on that. But I hope this has done some justice to people as they think about, and I, and I especially want to, I do want to make that another call out, a shameless promotion that if you're sitting out there and you realize that you're struggling, I mean, first off, if you want something inexpensive, go get secrets of closing the sale like Seth Godin did. Um, and oh, I gosh, I did want to give on another resource. We talked about Sewell Cadillac. Uh, it's Carl Sewell and the book is Customers for Life. I read that yes. 
probably 30 years ago, probably around the time I was working with Churchill Mortgage, Customers for Life, How to Turn That One-Time Buyer into a lifetime customer. The other book I was thinking about though, it was another one at that same time period. It's called Crowning the Customer, How to Become Customer Driven by Fergal Quinn. Uh, incredible book. There's three easy resources, but another one is you can go to Ziggler.com and contact them right there and say, look, this is what I'm doing. This is where I'm having problems and let Tom and the team and the family there say, hey, here's a book, here's a course, here's a workbook, here's a conference, here's some coaching you can get, or here's another company that may have a better resource for you as well, because I don't know if anybody's connected to the sales world more than Ziggler, and anybody who's out there is good at, at sales probably cites Ziggler as being part of their foundational process, but they may have an area of expertise that you guys aren't working on today, or you're using somebody else too. So um, there is a shameless promotion for Ziggler because I don't know where you're going to do better. And I know there's people who are going to hear this and still feel like, okay, I still don't know what to do. Maybe they're more aware of the problem, but don't know what to do. So, uh, all right, Tom, there we go. Good stuff. When I need something from you, I'm going to ask, man. <laughs> Thanks, brother. Do it. You got it. Well, friends, there you go. Great content on asking for the sale and the sales, or should I say influence process. We all need to have acquired skill here. Coming up in episode 833 will be a great show. And as of this recording, we're shuffling our schedule a bit, so it's going to be a surprise. But let me say this again. Thank you. I'm grateful you find value here at The Ziggler Show and you listen and share it with so many others. It keeps us growing and gets The Ziggler legacy further and further along. Till the next episode, thank you as always for letting me walk with you as we inspire our true performance together. 